What's up, everybody? Welcome to another World Cup special of the FRS Premier League podcast. My name is Sebastian Norton. With me is a sleepy Polly and a hopefully more awake Elliot. Yeah, I'm still not firing on all cylinders because there was a big wedding last night. So, But I've consumed enough mimosas and bloodies and smart water to be functional. No, I, I did a detox today because the day started early yesterday and just continued. <laughs> I was wondering if that was maybe why you were a little sleepy. Yeah. It's just I've, I've been outside for most of the last two days also, and it's been hot and the sun, you know, tires yeah, you out. That, sun, that sunstruck hangover, that'll, that'll get you. Yeah. Yeah, especially if you combine it with some alcoholic beverages, which I assume Paula did. Yeah, and running to the outskirts of Central Park so I can get enough service to stream the PKs on my phone <laughs> while while leaving my girlfriend and friends in the middle of the park just being like, hold on, I'll be right back. Oh, there we go. <laughs> Got your priorities set straight at least. After, after promising her uh, we're, we're watching the England game and then we can do whatever you want the rest of the day, I don't need to watch the other game. <laughs> oh, well, you shouldn't have told her that. But we'll get to that game eventually. Let's uh, start off with France-Uruguay as we break down the quarterfinals here. So a 2-0 win for France. Goals by Varane and Griezmann. And we spoke last episode, France playing themselves into the tournament. Do you feel, Pauly, that they've really hit their stride here now? I don't think they've hit their stride yet, which is the scary thing. I still think that they're getting better. And mm-hmm. um, some people might say, like, oh, they they really, like, you know, maybe they haven't played their best yet and, and maybe they won't go on to win because of that. I think they are the most tested team in the tournament. Um, they're right, right up there with Belgium, who had to beat Brazil and had to come back from 2-0 down. But Belgium got punched in the mouth. France, they've... You know they've they've had to play Argentina. They had to outscore Argentina. They they had to play a much stingier Uruguay side, um, and they they seem to just be passing. Like it's it's it just seems like whatever you throw at France, they're ready for it. Mm-hmm. So maybe they're not playing their best, yeah. but they're they're playing a different style. They're playing almost a different style every game, and they're coming out on top. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I think that's that's one of the most remarkable things that they can. You know, I I would did not. If you were to tell me at the beginning of this World Cup that I was going to see Olivier Giroud starting their quarterfinal, I would have been like, oh, I'm not so sure about that. But I think that he just has played, a, and again, we've talked about this before with Giroud specifically in the kind of damning with faint praise, oh, his hold-up play is really good, and that's not saying, oh, he scores a ton of goals. And yet at the same time, the way that he allows Griezmann and Mbappe to kind of like get 1v1 and run on the flanks and almost play as like kind of a second number 10 to distribute to them has just been phenomenal right that's that's exactly the point and i would have i would have said he would have been starting um their quarterfinal game because the champs just loves him so much i wouldn't have thought that it would be working this well and you're Mm -hmm. exactly right about that is they're using him not as hey play number nine lead the line and we're gonna pump balls into you and try to and try for you to get goals but they're using him as a guy who for exactly that, for his holdup play, which has been tremendous. But the reason that you could that we could sit here and praise somebody for their holdup play and not criticize them, as we often do when we talk about holdup play, is because they have Mbappe and Griezmann 
and they're not sitting there going, wow, Josie Altador is great with this holdup play, but like we have <laughs> Ali Bedoya on the wing doing nothing with the space that he's creating. It's when you have a striker that's creating that kind of space for really good players, yeah, use him in that way. And it's been it's been great. And getting and it has been good to get Mbappe out on the wing where he can run one on one and run into the space that's created by Zerut and it's made France oh so dangerous. Yeah, I mean, I still feel like the best is yet to come. And that's, like you said, Polly, that is scary. Especially if you're Belgium, since you're going up against France in the semifinal. Belgium, they defeated Brazil 2-1. Fernandinho own goal and then Kevin De Bruyne before Renato Augusto scored a consolation goal for Brazil. And a bit of controversy in that game too, as Brazil were denied a penalty. I wouldn't call that a consolation goal. Well, it ended up being a consolation goal. No, a consolation goal is what you score when you're down, when you're down Seven by nil. a lot of goals, and, <laughs> you score with, and you score with four minutes left, and it has no impact on the rest of the game. Okay. This had impact on the rest of the game. They scored it with what twenty minutes to go, 14. and they launched a fourteen minutes to and go. They, they launched a hammer. full-on offensive where they should have tied the game numerous times. Yeah, I mean, so this Belgium, was, this was building to credit. a comeback. Yeah, but you've got to give some credit to Belgium for defending well, and Courtois had a fantastic game. But, yeah, no, nonetheless, you're absolutely right. They they should have equalized and sent it to extra time. If not, equalize and then get a winner. I mean, Philip Coutinho had the ball on his foot in the box, wide open, with with Courtois out out of position. And mm-hmm. he didn't... It, it, it'd be, you know, if you run onto that and you just try to blast it into the net and you run the risk and then you send it over the bar and you just be like, God, like, he just blasted it over the net. He went for placement. He side-footed it and went for placement and he missed by, like, a stadium. Like, I'm pretty sure that ball went out for a throwing is how bad is how bad he missed. I mean, you cannot scuff a chance more than that. And that includes the chance that Raheem Sterling scuffed from right in front against Tunisia. Um, I will get you got to give a lot of um, you got to give a lot of credit to Belgium though we were my friends and I were skeptical to say the least when we saw the starting 11 uh, that included Fellaini and included Nasser Chadley and it was like does Roberto Martinez know what he's doing and like that's a serious question because it's a question that's been fair to ask Roberto Martinez a lot does he know what he's doing and and my friend even made the inception joke. He was like, "Pretty." He's like, "He's like, if I I said if this works, I'll be questioning everything I know about this sport." And <laughs> my friend made the inception joke, saying like, "Yeah, my totems are Fellaini and Roberto Martinez just being bad. So if those aren't working anymore, we are, I've got questions." And I did. I thought Fellaini played well. I did think that there were several. They they made a tactical change where they first of all they put Romelu Lukaku out on the right wing, which I thought was weird. But it ended up working really yeah. well. They they I played <laughs> they played De Bruyne as a false nine, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to where he's usually been like next to Axel Witzel, just with a lot more freedom. And I thought that was where I thought it was a brilliant move. I just thought the one area where they lacked was a lot of times the ball ended up on the feet of Fellaini, and it's like you want that ball on De Bruyne's feet. And by moving him further up the field, he's not there. But what I thought was just absolutely brilliant was. They pretty much, like, Lukaku and Hazard pushed them pushed really far out wide. 
and just stood there. They didn't come back on defense at all. You know, you see all these teams now with a 4-3-3 and a 4-2-3-1, which really just become a 4-5-1 as the wingers all track back and uh, you end up with your striker out on an island. That was not the case. Lukaku and Hazard just stayed there, which really, like, it uh, it kind of prevented Brazil from getting their fullbacks forward Mm -hmm. because they had to worry about Belgium's two most dangerous players. And then De Bruyne, he would drop back, but not all the way. Just enough that it was like, if Brazil did one attack, like one little half clearance was enough to get the ball to De Bruyne's feet, and he would just turn and go. And it was like, and he would turn and go, and he already had Hazard and Lukaku up, so he had space to to start the attack. And really what it reminded me of, my friend said it looks like just a high school team where like the entire team is just built around their best player, which... It kind of was. For me, it reminded me of of watching Jason Kidd in his prime, like running a fast break. Like a, like when, when Jason Kidd was in his prime in the NBA and how when his team got a rebound, it was get the ball to Jason and run because we have the ball with our best dribbler and our best passer running down the court ready to make something happen. It was the same thing. It was you have the ball on De Bruyne's feet, running at the defense, ready to make something happen. Hmm. Yeah, it will definitely be an interesting matchup between those two, so we'll talk more about that in just a little minute. But first, let's move on to the other quarterfinals. Uh, England beats Sweden 2-0. Goals by Harry Maguire and Deli Ali. And um, it wasn't much of a discussion here. England were the clearly the better side in this one, as they should have been. I almost forgot. Yeah. I mean, I just remembered that you're Swedish and that... Mm-hmm. That as much celebrating as I was doing, you lost. Yes. Yeah, I mean it was game. It was sad, but at the same time, they made it further than they had since 1994 when they won the bronze. So can't be too unhappy about that. It yeah, was they a, definitely punched above their weight. Oh yeah, they did, and it was a weird. It was a weird game because for the first 30 minutes, England were England were crap. And they didn't look like they had anything going for them. And then they get a corner out of nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Raheem Sterling just creates a corner for them. And everybody in the bar, we were like, yep, this is it. And, like, they finally got one. Like, this is their first set-piece chance. They're going to score here. And Harry Maguire had, like, the most fundamentally sound header I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, and it definitely did not <laughs> help that he was being marked by Emil Forsberg, who is probably a head shorter than him. But yeah. it was like I mean, like when I play when I play with my English friends, it's like when they do that stuff and it makes me go, Wow, you guys are really good and then it's like you guys aren't that much better than anybody else in England. It's just that they teach you how to head the ball when you're six years old. Yeah. It was so fundamentally perfect and it just reminded me of all those. Um and then Deli Alley had the had the good finish. What was really weird was Jordan Pickford made a lot of really good saves. Yes. Um, he had a very good and, game. And he was man of the match, and I thought he deserved to be man of the match. He was unbelievable. And as many good saves as he made, it never really seemed like the result was in doubt. Like, it never, it never, like, yes, Sweden were getting shots that required Pickford to make great saves where, you know, and they... If he doesn't make those great saves, they have two, three, four goals. It just still didn't seem like the the way that the way that Belgium felt under siege from Brazil for the final 14 minutes. It never felt like Sweden were threatening. No, not in that type of way. Not not at the least. And I mean that 
The really bad thing for Sweden this tournament has been the lack of clinical finishing, really. I mean, Marcus Berg, I love the guy. He used to play for IK at Gothenburg, but he had a rough tournament. So many grade A chances, and he managed to miss them all. And, yeah. I, and I mean, Ola Tovnen did a great job. I mean, Sweden were one of very few teams who actually played a 4-4-2. Uh, they did a great job, both of them, really, you know, as far as pressing players, helping back on defense and all that. You, you know, the way that Sweden it, had to play. Right. I said it when they played Switzerland. I said, this has been like a fun game because, you know, instead of playing negatively, both, you know, and fouling and, and disrupted, there weren't a lot of whistles in that game. Both teams were going for it. They were just – both teams had terrible, terrible strikers, and, and, like, they were creating chances that no one could finish. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think if they would have had some better finishing, they could have made a game out of this at least. So England moving on. It's the first time in how many years, Polly, that they're in the semis? Um, according to Grant Wall, uh, it's the first time since 2015 that England have made the semifinals in a World Cup which is a wildly inaccurate statement because he is considering all World Cups there, um, men, women, everything. So the women made the World Cup semifinals in 2015. Um, I don't know why he didn't consider the U-20s, who won the World Cup last year, if we're counting all World Cups. So they have not made a World Cup semifinal in a year, England as a country. The England men, it's been, what was it, like Mexico? 86 or 90 it's been a while then it's been one of those two they didn't qualify in 94 they didn't and or maybe they oh they made the semis in another i think they made the quarters in 2002 hmm. yeah it's been a long time so good for england and uh, still a congrats to my sweden for making it that far croatia knocked yeah. out the host russia on penalties uh, first, in the starting 90 minutes, we had two goals, one from Cheryshev and one from Kramaric, which took it to extra time. Then uh, Vida and Fernandez scored, and then a penalty shootout that Croatia won. I saw one funny tweet about, I mean, his full name is Domagoy, which is amazing in, in itself, but Vida being the whitest man on earth and basically being a white walker. And he has that crazy hair to go with. I mean, everybody kind of did their best to make sure that Russia could freaking advance in this tournament, really. I mean, Croatia, really impressive. It took them to penalties, though, to beat them. Yeah, I mean, really impressive in the group stage. And then they've been a little bit shakier here in the knockout rounds. But they got it done again on penalties. So, I mean, they they still should feel good about this. I'm very mad that I missed this game just because... um, I love nothing more than when a goal is scored in extra time and then there's an equalizer in extra time. Yes. Well, nothing more than that. Yeah, that's always fun. So, yeah, it was a great match. I mean, I, I think that Croatia, however, despite the fact that they have not seemed the dominant force they were in the group stage, um, they could still be trouble for England. I mean, this is a team that is kind of like sneaky stacked from front to back. And if England play the way that they did in the round of 16. I think Croatia knocked them out. Croatia, they picked up a lot of injuries. And they may not have, have Ivan Perisic, which would be a big loss. Yes, yeah, that would be a huge blow. Yeah, let's start um, Let's start with the France-Belgium game, though, since that's on Tuesday. 
All right. Uh, I mean, that to me, the winner of that <laughs> game is probably going to win the World Cup. Yeah, I'm. Well, I tend to agree with you there. I disagree. Oh, do do I explain? Okay. I think if England beat um, whoever they're playing, Croatia. Yes. I think England will win it. Um, I think. Oh, France it would be the... so obnoxious if England won it. Ugh. Well, I, I think if I think if England. First of all, if England if England play Brazil play uh, Belgium in the final, the amount of people rushing to Twitter to make the oh you think they're actually trying to win this time joke might break Twitter. Um, or the hey, it's funny that neither of them are resting their squad this time. Yeah. Um, I mean, it would be hilarious if they both started with the same lineups as they did in that group game. No, it would not. <laughs> um. It would it would be the Premier League All Star Game that we finally are looking for, mm-hmm. is what it would be. Um, the Premier League would probably scrap those plans that they have for trying to create a winter break immediately because they'll be like, see, it's clearly not that because we play so many games in the winter. That's clearly hasn't been the issue with why we're not good internationally. If our league is supplying all the players for the final, besides like Axel Witzel is like the only player that doesn't play in the Premier League. Um, he plays in China. <laughs> Yeah, for way too much money. I, I just think that this is like one of those situations where like everybody thinks it's a foregone conclusion. Like, oh, all the good teams were on this side of the bracket and the bad teams were on this one and they're going to get a free pass to the final where they're then going to get destroyed. And it just, it seems, it just seems like it reminds me a lot of uh, in 2006 in baseball when the the American League was just so much better than the National League. And they were like, whoever wins the net, like the, the whoever wins the NLCS gets the right to get like destroyed by the American League, and then the Cardinals came out and swept the Tigers, and or when you know the Broncos and Patriots were dominating the NFL and the NFC sucked, and the Seahawks came and wiped out the Broncos in the Super Bowl, or when the the Eagles just beat the Patriots in the Super Bowl, or all those years. Uh, when the Pistons beat the Lakers, when the when the Western Conference was so loaded and the Eastern Conference was so 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 terrible, and everybody's like it, it's such a mismatch and they don't stand a chance. Yeah. It's one game, and there's no team like France are really good, but you know when they play uh, when they play Uruguay, I mean, there's not a reason for it, but like Uruguay's got a lot of players that play in, in Italy or like, you know, when they play one of the smaller teams like Australia or something, there's reason to fear them. You know, they don't play these guys all the time. This is, this is Paul Pogba, like a guy who was sold for 90 million pounds. This is Antoine Griezmann, a guy who was rumored to be getting bought for a hundred million. This is Mbappe who went for 250. Um, this is like, you know, Angola Conte who came out of nowhere to win a Premier League title. Then Belgium, it's it's Kevin De Bruyne, it's, it's Eden Hazard. You know, Romelu Lukaku is a $75 million man. There's reason to fear them. England have no reason to fear them because these are all their teammates. They see these guys all the time. They play in the same league as them. They are all, you know, England's got a lot of players. They all finished in the top five of the same league playing for rival teams and everything, there's no reason to be scared of Paul Pogba. There's no reason to be scared of Kevin De Bruyne. So I, I just, I don't think that, that I, I just, I think there's a level of familiarity there that England just wouldn't be afraid of these teams and they can handle them. Well, you can flip that the other way too, though. 
Yes, like it's like oh yeah, easily Her- beat them. Harry Kane, it, very it, good it, at scoring goals. The rest, meh. <laughs> right, but here's the difference. Here's the difference. Toby Alderweireld, um, Toby Alderweireld, and Jan Vertonghen have never tried to keep Harry Kane from scoring a goal. Uh, Vincent, oh, Company, they do it every single day in training. Okay, Come yeah, on. but never done it in a game. Yeah. Vincent Company has tried and failed several times to keep Harry Kane from scoring. Um, John Stones and Harry Maguire have have kept Romelu Lukaku out of this out of the score books, out of off the score sheet. You know, um, Kyle Walker has played against Eden Hazard before. Um, so yes, there's an ultimately what it comes down to is it's one game. I think England would ultimately win because. Uh, they're just riding a wave of magic, but I don't think... I obviously give France and Belgium a chance to win. I think they are two, probably talent-wise, they're probably the two best teams in there. I think England talent-wise are underrated, but then again, the dirty little secret about England is they haven't played well in a single game yet. The way that we say France are still getting better, like, England really can get better because they haven't exactly played well yet. They haven't... They barely scored at all. They scored what once from open play. <laughs> They've scored three times from open play. One, one was a Jesse Lingard wonder strike. One was a shot that oh, accidentally yeah. hit Harry Kane in the ankle, and the other one was Deli Ali's header. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, they haven't really played well. But it's ultimately it comes down to one game. Yeah, I think England could. I think England could easily beat them, and I think that France or Belgium could easily beat England. Also, I think one, it would be in a, one a game. Hell of a freaking game. In one game, I think Croatia can beat England. Ooh, they can. I I think if Croatia won, though, I think France or Belgium would have their way with them. Yeah, Croatia's got they they picked up injuries, um, and they the thing about Croatia is they're playing through the wings, which. It doesn't make a lot of sense considering that Mario Mandzukic is like the worst big name, quote unquote, good striker out there. I, like, I oh, totally disagree. I think that he has been fantastic all season, both for club and now also for country. He's been pretty poor in the World Cup. His finishing has been up there with Sweden. Um, but so more importantly, that's not it. He's also created goal. You know, like. He created a goal for Croatia in their quarterfinal. I, honestly, I think Croatia are an extremely dangerous team, even if they've lost a step in the knockout rounds. I just think that England might just do it over them, mostly because they've had to play consecutive full-to-penalty extra-time matches, and I think the little freshness that England are going to have over that you know, could be the difference maker. That's a that's a good point though. England have looked tired. I mean Deli Alley and Raheem Sterling have been and and Jordan Henderson looks guess, a maybe little they'll start tired. Rashford. What? Uh, maybe they'll finally start Rashford. Would that be a shock? See, I I I thought that I thought Rashford, um I thought Dyer, Rashford and and Loftus Cheek all should have started the game against Sweden because it's freaking like it's Sweden and they should have won that game. And you give, I think if you give Raheem Sterling thirty, like sixty minutes on the bench, I think Raheem Sterling right now is just suffering from a lack of confidence. Mm-hmm. And if you give him sixty minutes and then bring him on against against tired legs, I think it could have done wonders and really woken him up. Yeah. They didn't do that. They went with the same team. I find it really difficult to say that against Croatia they're going to switch it up again. The difference is Sterling hasn't finished, but he's really been like the most dangerous player 
going forward, he's been the one that's winning them the corners and winning the free kicks, which is how England are their most dangerous. Um, the point I was going to say about Croatia is they're playing through the wings, which is weird because Rakitic and Modric are by far and away their most dangerous players, and they play centrally. And it, it just seems like it would be more of an ideal situation if you attack from the center with your best players having the ball at their feet. The other issue that Croatia are going to run into are England are really freaking good on set pieces, as we've seen time and time and time again on, on um, in this World Cup. And Croatia's biggest weakness has been defending set pieces. Yeah, definitely two interesting matchup. Uh, France-Belgium, 2 p.m. kickoff Eastern time on Tuesday. Croatia-England, 2 p.m. on Wednesday. So, um, yeah, I mean, I do want to touch upon one more thing uh, if you feel like we're done with the World Cup here. And what's that? I'll take that as a yes. That is yeah. West, West Ham and... The reports that they are closing in on Andrei Yarmolenko from Borussia Dortmund and Jack Wilshere. I've heard about that. I heard about the Wilshere one. West Ham making some moves. Look, again, you you could buy the fanciest chess pieces out there, but if I'm the one that's making the moves with those chess pieces, they're not going to be that helpful. Um, until... <laughs> Until you get a manager that knows how to use your pieces right and puts them in an order to get them the best that they could be, it, it's hard to say that anything's going to be. It's hard to say anybody is going to be a good signing. You don't have any faith in Pellegrini. I I, I want to see Pellegrini work before I, you know. Oh, I'm going to say West Ham finish in the top ten. I'll say it now. Yeah, there I would. I would believe that. Yep, but. God, I can't they wait for West help. Ham to like be in the relegation zone in October, and I'm going to start like giving Seb crap for that. But really, they're going to be like three points out of ninth. Yeah, and and they'll just slowly climb up. Yeah. Uh, one thing though, also kind of noteworthy with this is the fee that's being reported for Yarmolenko. I mean, Wilshire is he's a free agent after not renewing his deal with Arsenal, but Yarmolenko, they say the fees. I'm going to say only 17.5 million pounds. Yeah, dude, did you watch him play last year? He wasn't awesome, he was, no. He was crap. Yeah. He was big-time oh, yeah. crap. Yeah. I mean, everybody on Dortmund was big-time crap, but Yarmolenko was particularly crap. Yeah, had six goals and 26 appearances for... Yeah, but I, I mean, but that's also why this is good business for a side like West Ham, that if they get anything like the best that Wilshire and Yarmolenko are capable of for a free transfer and a less than 20 million quid transfer, you know, that's phenomenal for them. Now I'm not, I'm still not convinced that Yeah, I, I didn't watch Dortmund enough to see a uh, comment on Yarmolenko's form from last year, but you know, I'm not convinced that Jack Wilshire is going to be healthy and play a full season, but you know, who knows? Maybe now he's going to kick on and I, mean, are gonna I, I almost disagree with you. Stuff. I think, I almost disagree with you. I think they are. I think they're, they're almost paying too much for Yarmolenko. He didn't go to really? Dortmund in a big time, big money move. Like Dortmund, you know, Dortmund don't make big money signings. They got Dortmund got him on the relatively cheap. And how much did they pay for him? Uh, it was probably in that region. I'll and look was, it up. I'll look it up. I'm looking it up. I'm looking it up. I'm looking. Everybody's <laughs> looking it up. All the kids are doing it. Yeah. It doesn't say, of course, uh, on Wikipedia. Stupid Wikipedia. Uh, 
profile. Where was he? His highest market value according to transfer market was twenty two point fifty million. Mm-hmm. Uh, they say his current value is twenty point seventy. Uh Dortmund paid from Dinamo to Dortmund, they paid twenty two point fifty. What is the transfer fee? I don't know what MV means, but that was 16.12. 22.50. I, I mean, you're you're going to spend $17 million for him then? That's only $5 million, I mean, five million pounds less than what he did, like, than last year where he was terrible? You still do I mean, I think that you've got to speak not necessarily in terms of exactly trying to predict his future with West Ham, but more in terms of just the market and how especially, you know, foreign teams selling to the Premier League are like, give me some of that multi-billion dollar TV money, you know? Yeah, I know that. And Dortmund Dortmund have like a Daniel Levy in there who's, you know, he's going to demand top dollar, but that's that's kind of why I don't think it's great for West Ham. I think if you brought him in in like 10 million, yes, then, then you're, you know, it's a low risk, very high reward if you get the best out of him. But having said that, I don't know if, you're going to get the best out of him. He, to me, he's been more like, you know, somebody who's, you hear about him in the Champions League, he was pretty good at the Euros, but not unbelievable. He had like two games that that caught everybody by storm. But we also look at the track record of recent players, especially players that play in his position, coming from the Bundesliga to the Premier League, and it's not that good. Hmm. So you're saying that when Christian Pulisic comes over, he's not going to be very good. Oh, well. I'm not well, saying I, I, think, I'm not sure. I think I think Pulisic will struggle in the in uh, in the Premier League, but uh, he will adapt to the physicality as he grows. He also is plays in Concacaf where they hack the heck out of him, yeah. so he's used to it a little bit more physically as opposed to the Eastern Europeans. Um, and but yes, I I think he's better off in Germany right now too. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, he- I would like him to get away from Dortmund because who knows what the hell is happening there but yep Pulisic being rumored going to well, here's the thing. where yeah why hasn't that happened yet the, the transfer market shuts in three weeks and that was a that deal was going down like in May and it's just or earlier than that as soon as the season ended that deal was rumored to be on the books and now it's disappeared and the, again like Pulisic I'm pretty sure is still in America unless you know if Dortmund are going Unless Dortmund are going to the Far East for their um, tour. No, they're in America this year. So he'll be in America. Uh, I think Spurs will be in America too. But, like, get on that because the transfer market shuts in three weeks. Did I miss something? Well, I said they should get on this because the market shuts. No, no, no. Uh, I'm saying doesn't, <laughs> yeah. it, doesn't it shut on – yeah, it's August, no, it, August it shuts, 9th. it shuts early this year because – We love your work. Um, because they moved it up, so yeah. it yeah. ends before the Premier League season starts. Yeah, so it's four weeks, a month, August 9th, right? Uh, August. I thought it start, I thought it shuts August first. Okay, well maybe well, August August night makes some sense actually. Yeah. We'll we'll have to double check that one. Okay, with that we'll wait. Say, LeBron yes. posted on Instagram wearing a Pulisic jersey. That's what comes up when you Google Pulisic. <laughs> yeah. Yep, that seems that seems about right. Oh, okay. With that, we'll say goodbye for this time. As always, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm Seb Norin. Paulie's Pete Cristal. Elliot is Keats. Was better. We'll talk to you again after the semifinals. Until then, have a good one. Bye bye.